Amen? I'm very glad they're in church. Yes. Too bad. We locked the door anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I know, old joke. Praise the Lord. I got a message I did uh, for you this morning. That's no surprise, is it? Okay, praise the Lord. Um, the surprise for me was the message they got brought for me this morning. And um, kind of talking about the season and different things that we're in, that what we're coming to. I mean, it's been going on for a couple of weeks now. Uh, God has been sharing with me about what it, what it looks like um, coming into this next season. How many know that God runs in seasons? One season ends, another one begins. And the seasons I'm talking about is, of course, revival and different things that are happening. Praise the Lord. By the way, before I get into the message this morning, uh, just so you know, I know I've announced this before, but just so you know that um, we have the baptistry ready to go. Matter of fact, you can't see it right now because it's, it's underneath the platform, but if I push a button, the door opens up, and angels begin to sing, and the whole thing, well, not really, but um, um, actually, I, I kind of push a button, but it's not really a physical button. I just tell two ushers, three ushers, or four ushers, whatever it takes to pick up that thing and open it up. Anyway, uh, but we are doing water baptisms. How many know that Jesus came to the, uh, to the River Jordan with, with John, and um, he says, baptize me. And uh, John says, baptize you. You know, I need to be baptized by you, not baptize you is what he was saying. And uh, how many know, did Jesus need to be baptized for the remission of sins? No. But it can be used for that. Uh, did Jesus need to be baptized because there was some lack or deficiency in his life? No. Jesus didn't even need to be baptized for the, uh, to identify, like we say here, to identify with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. He was Christ, and he didn't die yet. <laughs> so, so what was the purpose of water baptism? As Jesus went in the water, we know what happened to water baptism. When he came back up, the skies opened up. The, the Father ripped back the heavens and began to speak. That's the first time that the heavens were open since the time of Adam. And now if you look at, in the Greek, the Greek word for pulling back the sky, open it, is the same Greek word that rented the rocks at the resurrection in the book of Matthew, and when Christ was resurrected and many bodies come up out of the grave, it's the same Greek word that rent, rent the rocks. It was a forceful ripping open of an of a invisible thing that, that basically blocked the spirit. And Jesus himself, by the, through water baptism, opened up the kingdoms of heaven. So praise the Lord. Uh, this, we're noticing in this revival, I think it was, was May, May through June, about every Sunday we were water baptizing somebody and having baptisms going on. So we're go, uh, since then I have not rescinded that order. We still have the waters. They uh, clean it out. And it's clean every week, by the way. <laughs> it's not the same water since May. Uh, praise the Lord. <laughs> no, it's different water. But uh, if anybody uh, does want water baptism, we can do it. We even have articles of clothing that you can use if you don't want to, you know, we, we have it all set up anyway. It's been good. And every once in a while, somebody will come and say, yeah, I need to be water baptized. And we, then we sit back and enjoy watching their life be changed. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. All right. So you glad you're in church this morning? Yes. Amen. I am. I'm glad to be here. Uh, the title of my message this morning could be a little bit different, but the title of my message is Power and Passion in an Advancing Church. Here's what I see. I see what the Lord is. I see, though you can go to churches and not see many things different, still traditionally do things. What you cannot see is what God is doing behind the scenes in different church, around different churches, but 
what he's doing, he's pulling things together for the end times. How many agree that we live in the end times? I think we're closer now than any other generation has ever been. <laughs> I know I've been preaching since the 80s, and uh, I've been saying that back then, and here we are, you know. But the, the fact is, is, is we are, and we, can see, we, we know that. Now, here's what we used to teach. We used to sit down, and we used to bring out graphs and different things, and we used to say, well, yeah, this is happening here, and, and, and of course, when Israel became a state in 1948, and that marked this part, part and, and, and we used to do all of this stuff, and then we used to say, well, the, the world is turning so bad here and so bad there, we've got to be in the end times. There's only one problem with that, with that there's a difficulty there, is that those things have been repeated through human history. I mean, you want to see an ancient Rome before Rome fell. It was more corrupt than what we have today in, in, in anything we've seen in, in, in our land today. Okay, maybe not on a larger, or a larger scale, but it was, uh, it, was still, it was still corrupt. So corruption has always been on the earth as long as there's been sin on the earth. What I go by is what the book of Revelation said where Jesus talks to the churches. It's what the Lord is saying to the churches today. He that have ears, let him hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to the churches. And that's what he's, the book of Revelation was what he's talking about. So I like, to, I like to gauge our time frame so on what the Lord is doing more than what the devil's doing. Amen. I really don't care what the devil does. Amen. He doesn't, he doesn't factor into anything because he's a fallen, dead spirit anyway. The only thing, the only thing that gives him power is um, people. All right, praise the Lord. Amen. So power and passion of the advancing church this morning. Okay, I'm going to start. This is my opening statement for the message this morning. A church is not successful because of its size, period. I could stop right there. But then you'd ask the question and say, well, what, is, what makes a successful church? Well, I'm glad you asked the question. The success of a church or any ministry is because of its obedience, not because of its size. Go through the Bible and look at the different churches. How many remember the letters, the, the, uh, the Thessalonica church? I mean, all the different churches. We're talking about small churches that met in houses, okay, but had an impact in the city. I'm going to talk about uh, uh, Peter, James, and John. How many remember Peter, James, and John in the Bible? Three men. They, they turned Jerusalem upside down. I'm going to talk about that this morning. But, uh, so it isn't, it isn't the um, number of people that you can gather one place. Listen, football games gather people. It's not anointed. gathers people. I mean, you can, you can gather people. We, we, can, we can throw up a protest of the government, and we can gather people. It's not anointed. Okay, it's mostly just complaining. <laughs> Amen. But anyway, so, so, but, so I say it this way. But however, how a church... Uh, becomes or a minister or anybody becomes successful is through the obedience of Christ. When Christ tells you to do something and you be and you immediately get to the task and do it, uh, it kind of talks about my my history. That's how I wound up in Key West. <clears throat> Amen? Amen. I wasn't born here. Didn't know anybody here. But 33 years ago, God said, "This is where I want want you to plant." I, I didn't think it was a plant. I thought it was a temporary assignment. And uh, I got kind of disheartened when I found out through the prophets and through the different uh, things and through the Spirit of God and through prayer and fasting and everything else I was trying to get out of, uh, praise God, <laughs> uh, get out of town on. But the fact is, is no, he said, I've established you. He says, this is a homestead. 
That's what he said. So the, the word I got from the Lord is it was a homestead. So here we are 33 years later. I can go through hundreds of reasons why this thing should have collapsed years ago and never has. Never has. Final hour, 11th hour, God has bailed this thing out, our school, everything. You see here was because of obedience. And I'll keep it that way. I'll keep it that way. There's nothing that I own. There's nothing that's comfortable to where I will not be obedient to the Lord because I know that in that itself is the best way to live. Amen? Praise the Lord. Well, let me get into my message this morning. But, uh, you know, the church is not successful by its size. That's an American idea, by the way. I've seen smaller churches around the world that were so powerful, God was doing miracles and pouring out spirit and miracles. And they couldn't, they couldn't get maybe 50 people together, 30 people, even smaller than that sometimes. I think, what was that? I was in Abidjan, uh, Ivory Coast, West Africa. Needed a French translator. They speak French there. And I went to a church, I think there was 20 people. I go up, they, I'm the guest speaker, I get up behind the pulpit, and I couldn't even open my mouth until first I get a prophetic word. God says, give this prophetic word to the church. We give the prophetic word to the church, and God began to move on every individual in that place. This is in the middle of the night. This was, they had a generator power, one light bulb hanging in the, <laughs> out in the back jungle someplace. You know? <laughs> I had, uh, uh, well, that, that country, I, I had one translator with me for, for, for Ivory Coast. When I got to Ghana, I needed uh, four translators. There were 16 different major tribal languages in Ghana, and I needed four different translators to translate what I was saying. You know, Jesus loves you. <laughs> in 16 different major languages, but praise the Lord. But anyway, uh, I'm going to start this morning in the book of Acts. How many of you have ever heard of Peter? Yeah. Simon, Jesus changed his name to Peter because Peter meant rock, solid. Jesus saw a solid individual. And he, and, he, and, he, and he called it. Uh, in book of Acts, chapter 3, uh, I want to read this uh, story. You all know the story, but I'm going to pull some details out of this story and uh, share them with the church because I believe this God has something to say uh, to this church and to, many, to the area and the season that we're in uh, because of this story. Acts chapter 3, I'm going to start with the first verse in Acts chapter 3. It says, Now Peter and John went together up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Just so you know for, for, for information, the Jews had three times a day that they prayed. Yeah, we all get bent out of shape when there's one, but I mean, they had three times a day. So basically you had uh, the ninth hour would be the final prayer of that day. In other words, we're closing the day out. That would be about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. They had a prayer at noontime, at 12 o'clock, and then they had a prayer, a morning prayer was 9 a.m. in the morning, uh, our time, 9 a.m. And they, they, how they did it was they called it the, uh, uh, the ninth hour. They had it marked out in three different sections. So there's three times a day. They did this every day, uh, three times a day. This particular time, Peter and John were in, Jeru in Jerusalem. So what do they do? Hey, you're in Jerusalem. You don't need to go to the synagogue. You go to the temple. So uh, you went to the temple, and that's what they did. They're walking up to the temple. And so uh, in, anyway, so it was the ninth hour of the prayer, so they're going for their final day's prayer. Okay? Uh, uh, in, matter of fact, how many remember in Acts chapter 2, verse 15, uh, God also talks about the third hour of the day. And the third hour of the day was when the Holy Spirit was poured out, 9 a.m. in the morning. 
So if you ever worry about the Pentecost, do you know what time that was that the Holy Spirit was poured out? Peter said what time it was. He said, this was only the third hour. Remember they're accused of being drunk? He said, can't be. It's only the third hour. <laughs> I don't know why he said it that way. But anyway, that's what he said. So the third hour, which was 9 a.m. in the morning, is when the Holy Spirit was poured out. Pretty good record, isn't it? Anyway, so, so uh, I don't know if you're interested in that. You can look that up if you want to. Uh, verse 2, it said, A certain man lame from his mother's womb and carried, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful. I'll get to that in a minute. <clears throat> to ask alms from those entering the temple uh, to see Peter and John uh, uh, about to go into the temple asking them for alms. This was, this was a Jewish, according by law, Mo, law of Moses, this was a Jewish uh, uh, right of welfare. In other words, if a person could not work, it didn't say that they didn't want to work, it said they could not work if they were lame or they were blind or whatever. They had a legal right to position themselves, sometimes it was outside a city gate uh, when people coming in, but they positioned themselves where the crowds were so they could ask for alms or whatever it was people would go. And people would, out of, out of respect for the law of Moses, also it would, would give to these people, and it was illegal. They were legal there as far as I Remember I shared uh, a couple of weeks ago, I shared about uh, Bartimaeus, blind Bartimaeus, and how he left his coat when he got up and Jesus said, bring him to me. The coat was his legal right to beggary. He was blind, he couldn't work, so being blind, you can't work. So you, you depend on others' kindness to give, give to you. Of course, Jesus healed his blindness, and guess what? He could go, he could go work. Amen? Okay, well, this, this miracle happened uh, to, to, to Peter. You know the miracle. But this miracle happened. This is the first recorded miracle after the day of Pentecost. After the Holy Spirit is poured out, I want, you, I want to make that point because what Peter says signifies this. I'll show you in a minute. But uh, the fact is, is, is this was the very first miracle that was done uh, after, the, after the Holy Spirit was poured out. So they're, they're, they're doing what Jesus said. How many know Jesus told them, told him and us from then on? Okay, go into all the world, preach the gospel. This is what we call the Great Commission. Lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Cast out devils. It doesn't say sit down and commune with them. This is cast them out. The devil is worth one thing. One thing only to the church. He's to be casted out. Amen. He's not to be talked to, listened to, or paid attention to. He's to be casted out. Amen? Amen? Amen. According to the word of God. Amen. Okay. Praise the Lord. Amen. I'll take all those amens. All right, praise the Lord, Amen. And so, so, uh, so anyway, uh, they were doing exactly what Jesus said, going to all the world. Well, of course, they were going to prayer, uh, uh, which was part of their dedication as Jews. They were going to prayer, and then all of a sudden, here's this guy. Now they're going to do what Jesus had told him to do. Jesus was already in, in heaven. He's already uh, uh, was crucified. Forty days he spent on the earth. Okay. Uh, Pentecost means 50, so what happens is Jesus showed himself for 40. He told his disciples, do not leave Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. They don't know what they're looking for. They're just going to do it. So out of obedience, they sit there for 10 days praying for 10 days and, until finally the Holy Spirit is poured out. Okay, now this is the first miracle that's about to be performed after that event happened. And he says, so anyway, so, so, uh, uh, so 
they're going through to enter the temple. And verse 3 says, who seeing Peter and John, talking about this lame guy, about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And verse 4 says, and fixing his eyes on him, with John, Peter said, in other words, Peter and John are standing there, and he says, looking at the lame guy, and, and he's fixed their eyes on them looking for alms. Peter and John fixes their eyes on him and says this to them, look at us. Now it's, okay, what does he mean? If he's, if he's already fixed his eyes on us, why are we now being told again to look at us? I am looking at you. No, 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 look at us. Forty years, this guy, I'll get to it in a minute, but in Acts chapter 4, verse 22, it talks that this guy was over 40 years old. He's never walked in his life. He's been lame all those years. He's past 40. Are you here? He's laid there again, some other individuals, I guess he had some buddies or whatever, somebody laid him there so he can beg and get some money. So he's laying at the foot of the gate or at the, at the storeway, stairway for the Gate Beautiful. Gate Beautiful is where you go into to the temple. I'll share that in a minute. I brought some pictures, okay? All right, so I got, I got visual aids this morning. Yeah. Woo-hoo! <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so, but so, so, so this is it. So he's sitting there, he looks, now he's looking for alms. For all these years, I don't know how many years he's been at the temple, for all these years, he's come looking for something. The only reason to go to church, we call it church, but they would call it the, the, the temple, the only reason to go to temple was to look for something. Because when he goes to the temple, other people come, feel sorry for him, gives them money. Peter says this in, 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 in words, he says, no, look at us. Look at us. Fix your eyes on us. In other words, what Peter is saying, he's saying, look and see something beyond what you see here. Look at us. These are two men, individuals that are filled with the Spirit and about the ready to move in the gift of miracles for them. Look at us. In other words, don't look to what you're trying to get, but look, see something beyond what you see here standing before you is what he was referring to. So he said to him, he said, he says, he says, look at us. Verse 5 says, so he gave them his attention. Now he's looking a little bit different. He gave them his attention. What's this all about? Expecting to receive something from him. Still expecting to receive something from them. Peter says, silver and gold I do not have. But what I have, but what I'll do, I have. He said, start over again. But what I do have, I give to you. In other words, I don't have this that you're looking for, but I have this. Can I say this is a representation of the church? We may not have the finances you're looking for, but we do have this. (laughs) I may not have the money in, 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 in my pocket right now to pay all your all bills. If I did, I could probably pack this church out next Sunday. For that, we'll come to church. Well, let's see. I'll put out a sign this week and say, this is not for real, by the way. 
$500 a head for everybody who comes to church for a month. How many be in for that? That's a hundred and a quarter a week just to come to church. One service. How many be in for that? Yeah, yeah, okay. We'll work on the honesty thing later. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Anyway, he says, he says, silver and gold we have none, but what we give you. Now, this is interesting. Uh, look at the words here. Silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. In other words, this is not my gift for you. This is what Jesus Christ of Nazareth has for you. I don't have what you're looking for, but Jesus has everything that you need. It may not be what you're looking for, but it has what you need. So here's what it is. And this is what he did. I, I got I to explain some of the symbolism here because you may not be, if, unless you're familiar with Jewish law, you may not understand this. Well, I'll, I'll get to it in a minute. He says, he says, Peter says, oh, God, I'm not, he, says, he says, rise and walk. And now verse 7, and he took him by the right hand. Why is the biblical explanation so uh, uh, concerned about which hand it was? What does it matter? We're lifting the guy up. You see, this is what the people say. Well, what does it matter? We're just lifting him up. It does matter. Because if you know anything about Jewish law, the right hand is a stronger blessing. Do you remember with, I, with, uh, uh, with uh, um, um, uh, what's that fellow's name? Uh, Jacob. And uh, he, had, he had Manasseh and Ephraim, the two sons. He had Manasseh and Ephraim. Manasseh was the oldest, and by Jewish tradition, the oldest always got the right-handed blessing. They had the right hand laid upon them. The blessing was always stronger. And the younger took the, uh, the submissive role to the stronger. When Jesus Christ went to, to heaven, he sat on what side of the Father? Hmm, right-handed side of the Father. On, he sat on his right. Why? Because all authority was given to him in heaven and earth, and so therefore he sat on the right hand because that was a hand of the stronger authority. Get back to Jacob, when he went to bless Man, uh, Ephraim and Manasseh, what he did, he did something that was unexpected. He crossed his hands. And we call it cross-handed blessing. And his right hand went on Ephraim, and his left hand went on Manasseh, and it was backwards. And Joseph basically rose up and said, wait, wait, you're doing this wrong, Pop. I mean, you, you, know, you get the wrong son there. Just, he says, never mind, boy, I know what I'm doing. God told him to switch the blessings, and Ephraim became a warrior tribe and was a protector, one of the protectors of, of, uh, of Israel. Manasseh, uh, when they went into the promised land, had the most land, but mostly they were farmers. But because of the blessing, when Peter reaches down for this man, he uses his right hand. It was the authority symbol of Christ. In other words, I'm not doing this, but I'm stretching out my right hand as our, as our Savior sits at the right hand of the Father. With the authority of Christ, I'm speaking to your legs that aren't moving or cannot move and haven't for over 40 years. Over 40 years of your life is about to disappear. An aspect of your life, excuse me. Uh, 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 40 years of an aspect of this man's life is about to change in a moment. And as soon as he stretched forth his hand, he lifted him up. As soon as he began to lift him up, his ankles straightened and he could walk. This man wasn't even allowed in the temple. Let me show you. Put that uh, first picture up there. Jim, help him out if you, you, you switch projector guys on me. Okay, 
This is, this is, you see where it says on a picture there, beautiful gate is the picture, beautiful, the gate beautiful, beautiful gate, either way. Solomon's porch, Solomon's porch is a little bit over this way, but anyway, uh, top of the wall. That was going into the temple. Show them the next picture. This was like, with, with, okay, here we are. Going through gate beautiful, you see where it's right there, there's the temple. Okay, the first court you go through is a women's court. The second court you go through is the men's court. The third court you go through is the priest's court. And then you have the, the temple, the holies, the holies, and so on and so forth. He's sitting right there. There are 15 steps from the bottom into, into the door. That's where he's sitting. He was not allowed past that place right there. He wasn't even allowed in the women's court because of his affliction. The Pharisees had everybody blocked out. They were not allowed in the... Do you remember when Jesus went to the temple and he turned over the money changers' tables and he went in and he had, he had a holy fit? And he said, my father said... Do you know what he did after that? He opened up the temple and let everybody that wasn't welcome to go in there before because of their affliction, blind, uh, lame, or whatever. He brought them all in and he healed every single one of them. He, didn't, he did that more than once because they kept bringing the money changers back in. So the rules that were set up were not God's rules necessarily. Are you here? Listen to me. It was based around God's rules, but they infiltrated their own. This man wasn't allowed in the temple because of his affliction. When the sick, and Jesus commanded the sick to come in, and he laid hands on them and healed them, they could now go into the temple because they were healed. They were kept out before. My father's house is a house of prayer. Do you know what he was saying? My father's house is a place of healing to change lives that had been restricted for years. Life changes, or life changes starts to change at the sight of Christ. Our life starts to change at the prayer to Christ. Our life begins change right there with the power of Christ. The right-handed blessing reaching forth. Are you here? Jesus sat down at the right hand, in other words, to indicate he wasn't going anyplace else until the time was called. He said, I'm going to ascend to the Father. He says, you go lay hands on the sick. Isn't it amazing when, when I share this several times because the story amazes me. They're sitting there, there's 5,000 people that, that don't have any food. And, and the disciples are telling Jesus, send them away so they can go get food. We don't have enough food. He says, no, you feed them. Impossible task. You heard this preach this before. Impossible task. Jesus didn't cancel the assignment because it was impossible for man to do. He did not cancel the assignment because it was impossible. He says, give me what you have. And they give him loaves and fishes. He blessed it and he handed it back. And by the hands of the disciples, he was training them. That's my power behind it, but it's your hand that's going to put it to the work. Peter remembers that when he stretches out his right hand and lifts up this guy who needs a miracle. It's going to change his life for the rest of his life. Just because it would be an impossible task, Peter was not a doctor. He was not a physical therapist. He was not anything. He was just a, delivering the message that Christ had told him to deliver. Lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Blind eyes will open. Lame men will walk and leap. We hear. Praise the Lord. 
I didn't get to the best part yet, but let me just bear with me. Praise the Lord. What happens to this guy? He took him by the right hand. He lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle and bones received strength. Verse 8 says, so he, talking about the blind man, or the, I'm sorry, about the lame man, he leaped up, stood, walked, entered the temple with them, walking and leaping all the way in. Can you see the Pharisees, the scribes and Pharisees, look at this guy, what happened to you? Wait a minute, we know this guy, he's there every day. I mean, we've seen him 40 years, I mean, we'd seen this guy. 40 years old, he was older than Jesus when Jesus went to the cross. Something to think about. He was lame longer than Jesus was alive in his earthly form, I should put it that way. Amen? Interesting. And now he can walk and he's leaping into the temple. Peter knew exactly what was going to happen, so he didn't let a good thing pass. He went to put that uh, last picture up, the second picture up again. You see where it says Solomon's porch? I would say Solomon's porch. That's where Peter delivered a message after he did this. They went inside first and worshipped with the blind man leaping and jumping. He wasn't afraid to lift up his hands. He wasn't afraid to dance in the house of the Lord. Hallelujah. He didn't care what people thought. He didn't care what the scribes and the Pharisees thought. He didn't care what anybody thought. He knew he was free. And his strength came to him, and it was a miracle of God. So the Pharisees said, by what did you do this? How did it? Now, they can't deny the miracle. So they asked Peter, what, by what did you do this? He said, by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who you have crucified, and he is raised from the dead. Arrest him. Are you here? <laughs> Religion can't stand anything they cannot explain. I said this before, church, get used to living with mystery in your life. Because there are so much stuff that God, God is, is, is a genius thousand times over beyond whatever we could imagine. And that's who, that's who our Father is. Let's get used to it. Praise the Lord. Amen. I look at these things, and I shared with you last week out of... Um, Hebrews chapter 11. I look at the names. I look at the people that have done this miracle. And then I see what God has done. God will, how many know that we can read the scripture, though I'm talking about an account that happened 2,000 years ago? How many can find a scripture they can use right today? So the word of God is applicable to today. Uh, I can't tell you how many marriages are healed because of the Word of God. I can't tell you how many uh, uh, souls have been saved around the nation just that this church had uh, uh, you know, a uh, hand in uh, um, uh, different, uh, because of this. Amen? Amen? I, I know a lot of people talk about cultural change and that, the, that, that a, a, a good revival should change the culture of a nation, should change the culture of this and culture of that. If that is true, by my observation, okay, Jesus failed in, his, in, in, his, in doing that because Jesus didn't change the culture of Rome. Neither did Paul, neither did Peter, neither did the early church. Okay? I used to feel bad about that because we've been in Key West for over 33 years now, 
and we haven't changed the culture of Key West. <laughs> change the culture. I mean, anyway, we haven't changed the culture of Key West. Praise the Lord. But through this church, thousands through this church and tens of thousands overseas that's attributed to this church have watched lives change. Are you here? You know what? I think I'll take that any day over a cultural change. Now, if God wants to change culture, let him go ahead and do it. Man, I'm all for it. But we're waiting for a cultural change, maybe, to show some, some demonstration of his power, and God's just looking for individual change. He's looking for the lost sheep, that one person. You know, he, he was looking for lost sheep at first. Well, I, I'll get into this. I don't get ahead of myself, but he was looking at the nation of Israel. Thought they had a covenant. Hmm, interesting, isn't it? But what I see, I see that there's a correlation between John and Peter. There's a correlation between these two men that speaks about the success of future ministry here in Covenant Word Church or anyplace else. I see a correlation between these two guys, and you've got to understand what these two guys mean because both of them were together. Though John didn't have a speaking part, John didn't reach his hand first, but John had one of the biggest parts there, and we don't even hear from him. How many know who John was? If we study the scriptures, what did Jesus call John? Apostle of love. Are you with me? Peter was never called the apostle of love. Peter was called a lot of other things. I mean, let's face it. Peter, I mean, but, but Peter, why did you say that? Peter, why did you? I mean, it was always Peter. Peter, Peter, Peter. <laughs> then, it was, then it was when he was really in trouble, it was Simon Peter. How many at home, your mom used both your names? Me, it was Kevin John. Kevin John. When, you knew you were in trouble when mom uses both of your names. Praise the Lord. So, so this Peter. But Peter was the guy who would ask Jesus if he could walk on water. Peter was the guy who, who stepped out. Peter was also the apostle who denied him. Do you know anything about John? John, the apostle of love. Do you remember when they were on their way to Jerusalem and they were going to stop at a, at a Samaritan village? And the Samaritan village, because they were on their way to Jerusalem, reject Jesus and his disciples said, don't come here. We don't want you here. And they said, the disciples got together, and they said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven like Elisha did? <laughs> do you know who that was? It wasn't Peter. It was John, the apostle of love. Can you see the, <laughs> the contrast between these guys. These guys had some growing to do, some changing. But Jesus didn't even shake it. He didn't stop their enthusiasm towards the things of the kingdom. He readjusted it. He didn't stop. Or, 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 he just readjusted it. I'm telling you, for a revival to happen successfully today, we're going to need the Peters and the Johns together. It's going to be love or passion. And it's going to be the miracles and passion. I, uh, I was saved during the Word of Faith movement uh, uh, back in the 70s. 
in, in, seven, 60, in the 60s, it was a charismatic movement in our country. Remember that? Uh, everybody's, everybody's speaking in tongues, baptism of fire, and so on and so forth. Well, the, the word of faith movement was everything you spoke, you got. Okay, and th that was the word of faith movement. And both of those movements were miracles. No matter how, how far off they were on some of their doctrine, there were miracles happening. But I noticed something. Future uh, or past revivals, we saw the miracles. We see the power of God. We see it sometimes today. We see the miracles and the power of God, but we don't see the passion of God. We don't see the love of God. Nothing wrong with the miracles. Anybody will take a miracle, especially if you're uh, 40 years can't walk. You'll take a miracle. But what God did, he made sure that it was announced in the scripture that Peter and John both were together. And though John didn't have a, 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 a projected role, he did have a role. It wasn't John's hand that went forward. That was Peter. Because what we had, we had a coupling and a coalition of miracles and passion and love at the same time. Do you know what Peter, James, and John were called? How many know what Peter, James, and John were called in the Bible? What is it? Say it out loud. Sons of thunder. I, got, I looked up that scripture. Can I give you something interesting this morning? This is just a side note, something interesting. Um, in Mark chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, Simon, it says this, Simon, to whom he, Jesus, gave the name Peter. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, the brother of James, to them, he called them. Now, I'm going to slaughter this word in the Greek, but just, just for a comparison. Jesus said this to them. He called them bonages. You guys, you three guys are bonages. Forgive me, all those that speak Greek. I know that's not correct, but this is the best I can do with the sound down and out in my phonics. From that, the scripture says, that is the sons of thunder. That is the English translation. The actual translation <laughs> for bonages, how many want to know what that means? All right, come back next week. No, I'm just kidding. I'll give, I'll, I'll give it to you. I will do it to you. It means sons, to get the sons part right, sons of commotion, not thunder, commotion. In other words, wherever you guys show up, there's a commotion. <laughs> now, Jesus is saying this. I would doubt it if it was anybody but Jesus saying this. Jesus is saying, no, you guys are bonerges. <laughs> you are the bonerges. You three guys right there, Peter, James, John, you're the bonerges. Wherever you guys go, there's commotion. <laughs> John, the apostle of love, what we call the apostle of love, was originally called Jesus Bonages or son, uh, you know, the sons of thunder that we call it was really called the sons of commotion. <laughs> you sons of commotion. <laughs> Do you realize that John lived longer than any other disciple? Of course, Peter was martyred and so on and so forth. We get the, we get the modern history. But the fact is, is John lived on. They tried to boil him in oil. He couldn't kill him. This is tradition. This is in scripture, but tradition. Tried to kill this guy. Couldn't kill him. Stuck him out on the Isle of Patmos. So while he's out there, he just wrote another book of the Bible called the book of Revelation. He got a revelation from Jesus and started writing things down. 
He lived to be 98 or something like that. He just lived a long life. Isn't it something? Is it possible that the apostle of love, love can actually lengthen our life? Amen? Amen? I don't know. I just, uh, but he was the only apostle that was associated with, uh, called the apostle of love. They all associated with love, but called the apostle of love. But it was, uh, it was John, uh, you bone to G's. <laughs> I think, well, maybe we'll start a new, um, we'll, we'll get some tags for our leadership in the church here. You bone to G's. <laughs> Let's start confessing that over here. Sons, sons of commotion and sons of thunder. Anyway, praise the Lord. Anyway, it's translated in English, Sons of Thunder. It says it right there. You can use Sons of Thunder. There's nothing wrong with that. I just give you a little side note. I thought that was, 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 was kind of cool. In that one act, Peter went out on a portico, Solomon's porch, and he began to preach a message. And the Bible doesn't say how many women or how many children, but 5,000 men got saved that day. See, we don't take the story far enough. We're all excited about the 40... Guys over 40, you know, being lame. But when Peter got done with those signs and wonders, he went up at a point and he began to preach a message. And that message got 5,000 people saved between the miracles and, that, and what he said. 5,000. That is recorded. That is the, that's Bible. That's not, that's not history. It's in Acts chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. Amen. However, many heard the word, believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000 is what it says. Amen? Hallelujah. Amen? What would it look like if the church rose up in the kingdom of God and the power that the kingdom has given us and began to move in that area? You notice something about Peter and John that became not their occupation, not their sideline, that became their vocation forever. That became their life. Amen? And God took it. Paul writes later on, he writes in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 6, he says, For in Christ neither circumcision or uncircumcision. For a son of a Pharisee to say this, it had almost, he almost had to choke on the words. But he says, for, this, for in Christ Jesus neither circumcision or uncircumcision availeth anything. But faith through love. The missing element, I believe, in today's church and a lot of today's revivals is that passion, that love of I convert to passion. The miracles are there. God will do the miracles just in his name. He promises he will, and he does. But the church needs to grow in this aspect. We need to have the love for that. There has to be the John. We have to be Peter and John. Does that help anybody? Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. 1 Corinthians, Paul writes again, 1 Corinthians 13, 1, you know, know this scripture. Though I speak with the tongue of men and angels, but not, I have not love. That's agape, by the way. That's a giving love. Uh, I have become a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. It's all shallow. It's all smoke and mirrors. It's all whatever you want to call it. It's only genuine if we can mix the love in with it. Praise the Lord. Do it, out of, do it out of love. There's two people in the Bible. I'm going to finish off with this. i got a couple minutes here. I can do this two minutes. Praise the Lord. Amen. Okay. Uh, uh, 
you all know the story, the faith of the centurion. We were talking about this back in the war room. Two people I want to bring up this morning. One is in Matthew 5. It talks about Jesus going into Capernaum. And there was a Roman soldier there, a centurion soldier, who came to him and said, my servant is sick at home. Are you here? I want to share this because this is what the church needs to prepare for. Okay? The centurion had nothing to do. He was a Gentile. He wasn't even a Jew. Jesus never questioned that with him. But he does in the other story. I'll share in a minute. But he says, fine. He says, I'll go to your house and I'll, um, I'll heal your servant. And he says, don't go to my house. My house is not worthy for you to come into. What gave the guy the idea if his whole household was too filthy for Jesus to be present in, what gave him the audacity to think that he could ask for a miracle for a servant? I, I wish I had a picture to look at all your puzzled look faces right now. <laughs> <laughs> Amen? The house, he admits, my house is not worthy. Do you know what goes on in a Roman household? There is sexual immorality. There is, there is drunkenness. There is carousing. This, is, this was every day in a Roman, especially a Roman centurion. Roman centurion was a, a soldier in the Roman uh, army, okay, who was, a, who was a commander of 100 men. Centurion, that's where they get the name from. So we know that about him. He has a servant. That means he's wealthy. If he's wealthy, he has a servant. The servant he cares about, so it's not a slave. It's not somebody he captured and forced him to work because he's a servant, not a slave. And he says he's a servant, and he cares about the servant, cares enough to go to a Jewish rabbi and ask for a miracle, but the Jewish rabbi can't come in my house because my house is too filthy for you to come into, morally speaking. Too filthy for you to come in. But I'm a man of an authority, if I know you are, if you just speak the word alone, my servant will be healed. And Jesus takes this guy and he exemplifies him. He said, never have I seen any faith all in Israel like this guy. He says, go home, your servant's healed. And the Bible said he was healed in the self-same hour. Religious people would roll over in their graves. What do you mean? Why does the guy go home, clean up his house first? What we would do, we'd be cleaning up the house, getting all the harlots out and, 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 and whatever else is in there. And we'd be, you know, we'd be taking the cigarette butts and, 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 and don't forget the joints that are half burned. We'd throw them in there and the drugs and everything else. We'll get all that out of our house. Now, Jesus, our house is clean for you to come into. You're a fake, a phony, and a fraud. You only clean something up because you want something. You're like that guy who sat there at the steps. He only saw church. I'm using church. It was a temple. But he only saw church as something to get something out of, not to something to put something in. The church has to be a place where we come together. For one thing, it's a family. It's never been an organization. We have a heavenly father, and we call each other brothers and sisters. If that doesn't describe a family, I don't know what does. Because in corporate, in corporate setting... I'm the president of the organization. We have trustees and we have directors and we have so on and so forth. That's a legal description. But no, this is the house of the Lord. 
brothers and sisters, and we serve the Heavenly Father, who is our Heavenly Father. Amen. Jesus does something else. The faith of, a, of the Canaanite woman is remarkable. This has disturbed preachers for years of the language that Jesus uses on this woman. Matthew chapter 15, but he answered and said, was that, he said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of Israel, is what he tells this woman. This woman's begging for her daughter. Both cases, they were interceding for somebody else. They wanted nothing for themselves. Nothing for themselves. And he says, he says, too, he says, and he says, he says, now he says, should I take the, the, the children's bread? In other words, talking about Israel. Should I take the children's bread and give it to the dogs? And immediately she comes right back. She says, but even the dogs get the crumbs. And Jesus smiles. Yeah, even the dogs get the crumbs. Why was her daughter demon-possessed? I could tell you why her daughter's demon-possessed. She's a Canaanite. Canaanites serve false gods. People that worship false gods get demon-possessed. I don't care what name they put on it. If it's a false god, they're going to get demon-possessed. If they serve so much, her daughter was dedicated, evidently, because she was possessed. And Jesus said, smile, and he says this, Oh, woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desired. Let it be to you as you desired. It wasn't Jesus sending his word. It was her desire for his daughter that cleaned up the whole thing. Jesus looked past their uh, worshiping of false idols and everything. Is it possible that the church has got Christ wrong all these years and we've made a religion out of them instead of a, instead of a person who loves and cares? Understand this. The devil does not offend God. Quite the opposite. The devil turned that. In other words, every time we come together, every time we worship the living God, we upset the devil. But God himself does not get upset. I also noticed this when he came, confronted Jesus in the wilderness. The devil has limited strength. Resist him three times and he has to leave. I didn't say he goes through. I didn't mean he can come back. But the fact is, just resist him. He does what Jesus did. Resist him three times and he, had to leave. he, he ran out of strength. There was no more strength left in him. And Jesus kept on going, kept on preaching, kept on going. They crucified him. And he comes out, he ascends to heaven, and he's, his power is still going and going and going. Some people think that the devil is lesser, a lesser God than God in heaven. Not true. He isn't even in the same category as the heavenly father. <laughs> he's a fallen angel. He's a liar and a thief. Matter of fact, the Bible is going to say, they were going to look at him, and they're going to say, this is the one that deceived the nations? That's right. This pipsqueak? you got to be kidding me. Amen? One last closing statement, I promise. This is the second one. I get three, it's the American way. Okay, praise the Lord. Anyway, how many has ever heard of something called delayed obedience? Delayed obedience. You, anybody ever hear? Never heard of delayed obedience? I'll give you a scripture for it because I want to close with this. I want to share this. A delayed obedience, I notice when I do this, if I delay my obedience, when Christ tells me to do something, I delay that for whatever reason, waiting for the money, waiting for this, waiting for that. I don't know how many times I've got on an airplane with just ticket money. 
<laughs> and God supplied for me in foreign nations. But I mean, I just don't know how many times it's happened. But the fact is, 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 is um, uh, um, this delayed, when we delay our obedience, it's like around to it. When I get around to it, uh, I'll do this. When I get around to it, it's, it's almost like a procrastination. I did a t teaching on procrastination one time. But delayed obedience reduces the power God wants to release through the obedience. That's my statement. Delayed obedience reduces the power God wants to release through obedience. Numbers chapter 13, verse 30 proves this. Then Caleb quieted the people. Do you remember when, when Moses sent out the spies to spy out the land? Mm -hmm. Only two came back with a good report mm -hmm. out of the 12. So 10 had, it was 10 to 2. I noticed when Joshua did the same thing, he only sent two. <laughs> he wasn't going to send the other ten. Forget We're not going to take any chances this time. And it, so, so what happens, they came back. But Caleb said this. He said, then Caleb quieted the people. He was the older of the two, older than, um, than Joshua. But anyway, uh, in, in, before Moses, and said this. This is what Caleb said. And the words of Caleb were inspired by God. Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome. The emphasis says, if we do it now, yeah. immediately, yeah. we will overcome. Amen. If we procrastinate, we will not. Mm. Is, 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 is the implied emphasis. It doesn't say that. What it says is, 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 let's go up at once. We're able to do it. Even though they all made their false reports in, all their, weak, in their weakened state, spiritually speaking, we see giants in the land. We're like grasshoppers in our sight. How do you know? You tap them on the shoulder and say, do I look like a grasshopper to you? And, you know, it's, just, it's stupid stuff they come up with. But he said, but delayed obedience. I notice this in my own life. If I delay something that God says, uh, you can talk to my staff and my leadership. You can take them aside. I said, does pastor ever wait on stuff? No. <laughs> <clears throat> They're laughing. God woke me up in the middle of the night. We this, 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 and this. Order that, order this, order this. Let's do it now. Go ahead. I'll come back two weeks later. Is it done yet? Oh, you want us to do it now right away? Uh-huh. <laughs> That's right. Why? Because this is what the Lord has said. And then, but, 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 how many, how many buts have I got? <laughs> but, what, but what about this? But what about that? And they'll try to argue with it. Huh? Why? Because they're, they're people, just like you are. Anyway, this, this, is, this is what I'm what winding up with. Amen? We can have power without passion, the church. We can have faith without love, gifts without fruits. Charisma without character. The church in general has done, done all these things, okay? But I'm here to tell you this morning that this is over. There's not going to be any more power without passion. Amen? No more faith without love, no more gifts without fruits, and no more charisma without character. Boy, I tell you what, I would talk about character. I went to, oh, characters in the charismatic movement. Oh, my goodness. I can tell you stories. Amen? The fact is, is God says, no, all things are done through love. Amen? This church may not be perfect, but I'll tell you one thing it's going to do. It's going to do what God says. Amen. 
as long as I'm my watch. Amen? Amen. And I'll tell you something else. Nobody here can fire me. <laughs> Praise the Lord. A successful church is not how many people it collects. A successful church is when it's obedient. And I've sworn my life to obedience. Let's stand at our feet this morning. We've got fellowship. Hallelujah. So, um, amen. It's still early. It's still early. It's not even noontime yet. Praise the Lord. We're not even into the noontime hour of prayer. How would you like to be Jewish back then? Three times a day. I remember we had prayer here at one time. We used to go meet at 5.30 in the morning, had morning prayer. Oh, you want to hear the moaning, complaining. I felt like Moses. Sure God wants it? I don't think God's even awake at this time. I heard it all. <laughs> we, got to, we got together. We used to take once a week. We went, once a week we went down and we, um, we got together in teams. I broke church up in, in teams at morning prayer. We went down to the dock. It was my team. I took my team down to the, to the docks down in Maui Square. This happened in around 19, I want to say 96, 97, somewhere around there. Uh, no, no, it was, I think it was, uh, was probably a little before that. We were still, we were still on Eaton Street. And um, I went down there, and we, I got my team together. We're standing on the docks praying for the tourists that come in off the cruise ships and just praying for people. That's what we do. It's dark. <laughs> oh, dark 30, you know. We're sitting there, and we're praying. And all of a sudden, I get a word from the Lord. He says, stop the drugs. And I says, in the name of Jesus, we cut any drug smuggling. We, we uh, uh, stop it now and expand that right, right there. Well, I had a lady in my prayer group, and she worked for um, the trolley, you know, the, the Old Town Trolley? Mm -hmm. And she was in the prayer group. She's calling me up. She says, Pastor, you're not going to believe it. She says, I'm driving the trolley. She says, I go down Maui Square to pick them up off the cruise ships. She says, and, and, and you're not going to believe it. He says, she says, uh, ADF is here. Uh, all these federal agents are here, F the FBI. All these can congregate on the docks. As this couple were getting off the cruise ship, they were smuggling drugs into our city, and they were caught. I said, well, ask somebody how they found out. And so she, she asked one of the person, and they said, we got an anonymous tip. We don't know who it was. <laughs> it was the largest drug bust that they busted in Key West uh, off, of, off of a cruise ship in its history. I don't know how it stands today, but back then it was, it was, it was a big deal. They made the papers and everything else. They had, they had uh, you know, uh, what's that, uh, uh, alcohol, tobacco, firearms group, uh, FBI group. I mean, everybody, I mean everybody's there, you know, federal agents, and they, they had this guy getting off a cruise ship through an anonymous tip. I could just see God in heaven, elbow and Gabriel. Watch this. <laughs> Makes the phone ring. I think God does that with me. He says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take a guy who's got an A personality. I'm going to put all B's and C's with him. Watch this. Watch what he does here. Anyway, praise the Lord. Let's go ahead and pray over the food. <laughs> you're welcome to stay. Anybody's welcome to stay for food. Uh, they have some pretty good food over there. My wife makes corn casserole. It's uh, this, um, world renowned by this church. Anyway, but Father, we just praise you this morning. And I thank you, Lord, for your word. Let it go forth. Change the hearts of your people. We look forward, but Lord, let us have the love and the passion that we need to carry out your word. And Lord, we thank you for it in the name of Jesus. We also pray over the food. Now, you said in your word, Lord, that you bless our bread and the water, you'll take sickness from the midst of us. 
I claim that over the food that we're about to partake right now, that you bless our bread and our water. Well, it's bread and water means the stuff we eat and drink. And uh, you take sickness from the midst of us. We give you the praise. We thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name. And all the church said, Amen. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. I hope this morning I gave you something to think about. Amen. One or two things. And then um, praise the Lord. How many know we all serve Jesus together? Amen. Welcome to the family. Amen. Welcome to the family. Amen. That's what church should be.